0: This week, Paul's on vacation, so I'm not quite sure what you're going to get. In our first segment, Kevin Knowlton, Director of Academic Outreach at Cyber.org, joins us to discuss why now is the time for K-12 cybersecurity education. In our second segment, Joel Wallenstrom, CEO and President of Wicker, joins us to discuss encrypted collaboration and communication. In the security news, U.S. formally attributes SolarWinds attack to Russian intelligence agency FBI clears proxy logon web shells from hundreds of orgs. Justice Department creates task force to stop ransomware spread. Facebook faces mass legal actions over data leak and more. So stay tuned for all that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is
1: Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild. Packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails
2: flow steady. It's Paul Security Weekly.
0: Cybercriminals are using social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on victims,
1: your employees, or your customers. Protect your Office 365 email from today's most sophisticated attacks with Barracuda Email Threat Scanner. It's a free tool to help protect your business from these hard-to-detect attacks. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner uses artificial intelligence to hunt and eliminate Office 365 email threats. Find the cybersecurity threats hiding in your Office 365 email right now. Get your free email threat scan at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. And welcome to the show.
0: In this episode, this crossover episode of Face Off and the Body Snatchers, let me introduce you to our host, Mr. Paul Asadorian. I mean, Matt Alderman. Thanks, Larry. Uh, Paul's on vacation this week, but welcome everyone to episode number 691 of Paul Security Weekly. This is like his first vacation in like 10 years where he doesn't have to work, so I I was more than happy to sit in. Uh, But I will lower the IQ of the show by a a few points, I'm pretty sure, so I I need my smart ones to help me here. Uh, Joining us for this episode is first, uh, no mention other than Mr. Larry Pesce. Welcome, Larry. thanks matt good to be here and uh who said paul could have a vacation like that's not allowed i know i'm I'm usually the guy yeah and, and arguably you're not lowering the iq around here you might be raising it a little bit just saying just saying also joining us on the lines is mr lee neely welcome lee hey
2: it's great to be here happy thursday everybody We'll we'll skip the dad jokes, except to think of the one where the kid asked dad if he could put on his shoes, and he says, I don't know, I think
0: they won't fit. That was a bad one. Uh, Also joining us remotely on that same line is Mr. Tyler Robinson. Tyler, welcome.
3: Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. excited to uh, see how the show goes with a little bit of executive order and uh, stability. I don't know you're asking for a lot.
0: <laughs> and last but not least it's only because he accepted this lass as Mr. Jeff Ban.
4: Hey Matt, excited for you to run the show. Two comments. One, didn't we all have off last week? Uh second comment is I challenge all of us to actually end this thing on time tonight. All right, I'll do my
0: best. Yeah, challenge. There's challenge an accepted. there's an idea. There's an idea. Yeah. I mean, we have a ton of news, so it's going to be hard. So we got to yeah, curate we this bad boy. <laughs> Let's get right to it. Mm-hmm. All right. First, a quick announcement. Do you want to stay in the loop on all things Security Weekly? Visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher or our YouTube channel. Sign up for our mailing list. Join us on the Discord server where there's lots of action already pre-show. And follow us on our newest live streaming platform, Twitch. Our first guest as director of academic outreach at Cyber.org, Kevin directs the organization's programmatic outreach efforts and partnerships with the goal of ensuring that every K-12 student in the U.S. has access to cybersecurity education. In his role, he helps advance Cyber.org's K-12 cyber cyber education program with age-appropriate content that aligns with state standards for education in 27 states and counting. The impact of that work is measured in thousands of teachers and students with more content resources and training that will fuel the cyber workforce pipeline for the future. Kevin, welcome to Paul Security Weekly.
1: Awesome, Matt. Thank you so much for uh, for allowing me to to spend a, an evening with you guys, and uh, I look forward to having a fun dialogue this this evening. Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a topic. To- Near and dear to all of our hearts. We've talked about it on this show.
0: We've talked about it on other shows. You know, how do we educate and bring the next generation into cybersecurity? Because when we were growing up, and we've all talked about this in some form or fashion, you know, we didn't have cybersecurity education. The term cybersecurity really didn't even exist. We used to call it information security. Uh, There were lots of kind of precursors to what we have in the industry now. But, you know, we got a big challenge. We got a big workforce shortage, right? We need ways to get people interested and excited and move into cybersecurity career paths. And I think the work that you're doing at cyber.org is, is definitely a noble uh, to, to make this happen. Let's start, Kevin. Give us a little history of cyber.org because your past, I, I was looking at the history of the organization. It's kind of interesting how you started. Let's start with a little history first.
1: Absolutely, Matt. One of the things that I love sharing uh, about our organization is at its core, we are a workforce and economic development engine. What we want to do is ensure that we are preparing the next generation cyber literate workforce. And so cyber.org, which which was founded around 2007, 2008 timeframe, that is when we began initially investing in K-12 education to ensure that our return on that investment will yield a knowledge-based workforce that can go into the cybersecurity industry. You take a look at, and, and you mentioned, Matt, You know the tremendous workforce gap that exists today, over 500,000 jobs. And in the next year and a half, that number is going to exponentially grow to 1.8 million. So the question becomes, where do we start? And that was the initial investment by our parent organization, the Cyber Innovation Center, to ensure that we are investing in that future. It is a long-term, it is a disciplined approach. However, the results we are yielding now because of that investment are incredible, and we have so much more work to do.
0: When you think about K-12 education, right? The, I think the first time I was introduced to a computer basic programming, I think it was like seventh grade, right? But what, I, what I've what i heard is interesting is that by the time most people get into middle school, they've already ruled out certain disciplines for like their future. So it, it, when you think about what we have to do from an education perspective, I mean, we got to start way earlier in the process. How far back does this education actually? get started um, at, at, in the schooling systems?
1: Well, you think about it, my four-year-old knows how to operate my phone better than I do. My four-year-old can can log onto my phone, find the game that he wants and, and he's off to the races. So when we talk about kindergarten as the, the, the foundation for introducing students to cybersecurity, that's where cyber.org starts. We start down at that elementary level and research has shown that students are beginning to form what they want to be when they grow up around the fifth or sixth grade. Think about that. When I was in the fifth or sixth grade, there was a lot of things that I was doing and figuring out what I wanted to be when I grow up was not one of them. In fact, I would challenge you even in high school. But With these students who are connected to all of these devices, this digital age, we have to, we have to, and I can't emphasize that enough, we have to ensure that our education systems, the curriculum and the content that's being taught is evolving with that digital age. It's evolving with the the lowering of that age for students to be introduced to content. We look at kindergartners and and like I said, my son who is um, you know glued to a, a piece of device. We have to ensure that we're teaching protection uh, while they are on the internet, and that's where you know we have conversations around passwords and uh, what websites to go to and not go to. Uh, just maintaining a digital footprint, but we start down at that elementary level, ensuring that these students are raising their awareness. Around cybersecurity, so they can ultimately make informed decisions uh, later on down the line of what they want to be when they grow up.
0: Yeah, I, I looked at the curriculum early. Oh, go ahead. Somebody jump in there.
3: Oh, uh, I was just I was just going to ask. Kind of curious around. Does some of the initiative also involve? Corporations and businesses, like I think, which like starting very early is fantastic, and I think it is much needed. We're running into, you know, like you said, a shortage. Uh, What we've been finding is that early education and people trying to get into this space. One of the the major complaints from a lot of uh, the interns and students I speak to is they're putting in resumes to 10 20 30 places and the minimum bar of experience is you know 10 plus years a phd some masters 20 plus years in certain language like all of these unrealistic expectations of minimum requirements to get in so does some of the initiative involve educating uh, the hiring and uh, organizations that are doing the hiring to kind of fill those roles
1: absolutely you talk about apprenticeships and internships those are absolutely critical for introducing these students into the workforce and getting that real world relevancy we have a, a, a fortune 500 it company we have a, a global cybersecurity uh, company uh, that are backing cyber.org and and raising the the bar for ensuring that the very thing that you mentioned that our students are getting introduced to not only the skills that they need, but introducing them to the workforce uh, that they can ultimately go to. Uh, This partnership and this integration is, is, is tremendous, not only from an industry standpoint, but from the federal government standpoint. Cyber.org is funded by a grant from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and their Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And this grant allows us to develop that content curriculum as well as provide opportunities for students to connect with uh, both federal agencies who are constantly looking for uh, a workforce as well as industry uh, who are looking for that workforce as well. Yeah, it, I, I, w- I was going to go
0: down a curriculum path, but I, I want to put that on hold for a second because the other, I think, challenge is, yes, we've, we've got the hirers, right? But we're also talking K-12. So then are you also working with the higher ed in, in the colleges and the universities on what that path looks like for these kids coming out of K-12, going into maybe more focused cyber curriculum at, at the university level?
1: Absolutely. One of the things that I always like to to say is we we want to re, uh, reverse engineer the how a student gets a job, right? And we see these students who are you know, trying to knock on the door of these companies. And so what do we need to do to ensure that we are preparing them to go into that front door of uh, a cybersecurity company or, or a, a federal agency? And we look at the programs that the four-year institutions are providing. But we have to keep reverse engineering that. We have to look at the programs of the two-year uh, programs uh, that are offering and two-year institutions are offering And then we have to keep reverse engineering to ensuring that we are preparing those students at the K-12 level. As far as I'm concerned, a high schooler has three options. They can go get a four year degree. They can go get a two year degree or they can go straight into the workforce. So how are we as educators ensuring that a student is prepared at the end of high school? Many of us use the pipeline analogy, right? Oh, we have to expand the pipeline. We have to, you know, make the pipeline of talent bigger. Um, I'm here to say, put the pipeline analogy in the trash can, because a pipeline assumes what you put in is what you get out. And as educators, as institutions of higher education, that's not what we're about. Think of it this way, and probably many of the audience members listening in today are sitting on an interstate this is what we want to build. We want to build a cyber interstate that ensures that there are multiple on-ramps and multiple off-ramps for a student to to, to jump on. So if we're on the cyber interstate, that that K-12 high school graduate has those three options. They can can use the off-ramp to go straight into the workforce or they can stay on that cyber interstate and go and get a two-year degree that then has an off-ramp into the workforce or a four-year degree that has an off-ramp into the workforce. But like every good interstate, there's off ramps, but there's also on ramps. So we talk about what is a career changer doing? What is someone who graduates high school, goes into the workforce and realize that love's not going to pay all my bills. So I need to go back and get additional industry based certifications or uh, an, an another degree. So they use the on ramp to get back onto that education system with this interstate mindset this interstate analogy that requires two-year four-year k-12 industry and government to be singing on the same sheet of music communities need to buy into this idea that your k-12s must talk to the two years must talk to the four years that must talk to industry and government if communities buy into this cyber interstate this is where we begin seeing not only a workforce, uh, a pool of workforce, a pool of talent coming into a community, but this is also where we start seeing an economic development drive for a region. COVID has taught us, you know, a huge lesson about a remote workforce and that we can do things like this from a you know, from all across the country and many industries, ministry many governments are working towards this remote model. So if you're in the middle of North Dakota, you could have an amazing job with the federal government or with a cybersecurity industry, but maintaining your presence in a rural community as long as you have an internet connection.
3: Yeah, one of the things that... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Matt. I was just curious what your curriculum looks like and how the, how does that differ from like the two and four year degrees? Like when you're starting to talk about teaching K-12, uh, you've got a lot of base knowledge to instill along with uh, responsibility, morals, obviously that uh, most often will kind of come with a little bit of time and maturity for those two and four year degrees or, you know, for what you pay for. So how are you guys kind of tackling some of that challenge?
1: That's a great question, and that and, and this may be where you were going with yours, but um, I, I love to dig into it, right? So my, uh, I'm a recovering educator. Uh, I was uh, in the classroom of, before I joined Cyber.org, was an assistant principal of a K-8 school. So, so my DNA runs in the K-12 education space. And, and, and what we focus on at Cyber.org is ensuring that we are introducing a context to the content that already needs to be taught. So I'm encouraging math teachers to begin introducing cybersecurity concepts at a foundational level. So the question becomes, how in the world do you do that at a second grade, for instance? Well, we all remember that you know, lesson that we have to learn subtraction, five minus three equals two. And, and many of us will say, you know, remember the story, yes, Sally has three apples at the house. She has five friends coming over. How many apples does Sally need to go out and buy? Well, I'm telling teachers, don't use apples. Kids know what apples are. Instead of using apples, change apples to gigabytes. And here's your story. Sally has a computer at the house that has three gigabytes of memory. She has this really cool program she wants to run that requires five. How many gigabytes does Sally need to go out and and add? We're not changing five minus three equals two because guess what? That's a standard. That's That's a requirement that we have to teach in the classroom. We're changing the context in which it is taught. So in essence, what we've done is we have introduced a student to what a gigabyte is. And, and, and I tell these teachers, you know, here's a perfect opportunity to talk about computer memory and, and how, you know, a DDoS attack. Uh, could potentially uh, rock your world right so if you know Matt I'm talking to you and I'm saying the clouds are gray the sky is blue the the water um, you know is, is rough sharks bite dogs bark and and then you know Jeff comes in and wants you to to solve an advanced math problem, are you going to be able to, to, to comprehend you know everything that I'm giving you, but also answer uh, Jeff's question? No, you're not. So that simulates a, a DDoS attack uh, on a computer. So, again, it's all about how we're tying this all together to um, tying cybersecurity to relevant topics that already need to be taught in the classroom. We're building harps out of a Frisbee and fishing line to play a series of notes that unlocks a safe that contains encrypted documents. So we build an Enigma machine out of a Pringles can and a piece of paper, and we have to encrypt and decrypt various messages uh, to get a writing prompt that now you then you have to go do a research paper uh, on the various topic that you wrote. This is how we're doing it at the elementary and middle school level. This is how we are introducing students to cybersecurity concepts that they can use to then explore, pursue, and and go deeper into uh, their passion for technology, computer science, cybersecurity, and thus allows them when they get to high school, they can answer that question, what do you want to be when you grow up?
0: I'm waiting for somebody to pop in there just in case. So, <laughs> so I'm looking at the curriculum, right? So to your point, Cyber fundamentals, it's got different grade levels. So I'm assuming what you're doing there is you're changing the context in the degree of the learning in those kind of fundamentals based on the age group and as they kind of move through their education path. Because to your point, you're trying to make it contextual so that they understand the concepts, which means you're constantly kind of updating the curriculum for certain courses, I would imagine, as they move from second grade to Sixth grade to 10th grade,
1: etc. A- absolutely, right? And and one thing, you know, Matt, to your point is creating that relevancy. How many of us remember that algebra class we took in high school and going, why in the world do I need to solve for X? I'm never gonna have to do this. And then you get into the real world and you're like, oh, this is why I need to solve for X. You know, that it's that aha moment that we're trying to, to, to make down at the second grade level, but we're piecing it all together so that when a student in second grade comes to third grade to fourth grade, we're building upon that knowledge so that when they get to high school, there is a foundational understanding of what a student needs. And And, and I'll take this opportunity to mention that cyber.org is rolling out a national set of K-12 cybersecurity standards. And, and for the non-educators in, in, in the audience, a standard is, Uh, identifying a topic that you must teach uh, at a specific grade level. So uh, you have to teach subtraction at the second grade level. Then that comes into, you know, a little bit more advanced concepts in third grade, a little bit more advanced in fourth and fifth grade. And so what we want to do is provide an opportunity for teachers to understand what's important to be taught at an elementary level, a middle school level, and and a high school level, With the flag in the sand of an industry-based certification at the high school level, I would love for a high school student to graduate high school with at least one industry-based certification. However, our content, we have certification courses in IT fundamentals from Coptia, A+, and Security+. Plus think about it. You know, if, if I was a, 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 someone in industry and I had a high school student walking to my front door with those three certifications, um, I would put my logo on their shirt real fast and and, and bring them on because of their potential and, and their proven track record with the, the knowledge that they need uh, in the industry space. So that's kind of how we start down here and, and, and progress through at, to the high school level.
0: I've got a couple variations for you. I'm gonna go to the state level first. Yeah. Because it in the bio it said twenty seven states and counting. Where are you having success at the state level? Where do you still need to make some inroads in adopting the cyber curriculum uh, for, for within the state?
1: Definitely. So we actually have teachers in all 50 states that are utilizing our content curriculum. Twenty two thousand to be uh, exact. And and the twenty seven are strategic partnerships that we have with state departments of education. We want to work with educators at the classroom level. We want to work with school districts and then we want to work with state departments of education. It's important that we, we tie in with the state departments of education to get our content and curriculum either approved or get our content and curriculum assigned course codes or get our professional development approved uh, by, um, by the state because that removes the barriers. So I'll use an example. Um, I'll carry forward the North Dakota model. We have our content and curriculum being utilized and endorsed by the uh, Department of Public Instruction in North Dakota. And what that does is allows us to go into any and every school in the state and offer professional development and integrate our content into their cybersecurity classrooms. Uh, We have states like Louisiana who we have course codes approved and we have security of cybersecurity pathways uh, that are created. Again, this is a, Barrier that we remove for educators, so they can begin teaching our content uh, that's aligned to either their state standards, their end-of-course assessments, uh, or uh, that is an approved you know box to check when they uh, when a student graduates uh, a specific grade. So the work that we do with the state Department of Education is is very strategic, and it opens the doors for any educator in that state uh, to begin teaching some or you know, piece of, or all of our content.
0: I know Jeff's got some questions. I want to come back to a couple of variations of that, but I want Jeff to jump in here for a second.
4: Well, I mean, if you want to round it out, cause I, I want to, you know, kind of shift gears a little bit in my line of questioning. So if you sure. want to round up, round out the thought, Matt, go ahead.
0: Yeah. I, so when I, when I look at the local level, so you got the, the relationship with the state, One of the things I've seen deteriorate over the years since I was in school is the trade school. And I think the trade school concept here for cybersecurity fits really well. To your point, if I can get three certifications in high school, I could enter the workforce like my dad did when when he graduated high school. He went to the factories, right? He He was in the auto factories. He didn't go to college. He came out of high school and went straight there. If we can create this trade school path for these kids at the local level, and they've got the curriculum and the certifications behind them, we give them an off-ramp that doesn't really exist
1: today. Absolutely. These trade schools and in, in, you know, the career technical education programs are absolutely pivotal, and 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 there's a stink in our community in our country that CTE programs are bad. Oh, those, that CTE programs are for students who don't go to college or the you know the underachieving uh, uh, academic students. That is so far from the truth. Today, we have specific technical programs that students are going and pursuing a two year or four year degree. Students are going and pursuing high paying jobs. These. CTE programs um, are, are vastly different from 10 years ago. And our goal is to shape the CTE programs uh, in a way that keeps up with the demand of our workforce today. And, and, and you look about the history of CTE programs, look when it was launched, when, look, you know, look at the time period uh, when it was launched. We are, us as a country was so focused on manufacturing And and you look at all of the CTE programs around the country, they're predominantly, you know, a manufacturing based program, shop, you know, auto, um, etc. So what we're looking to do is ensuring that states and school districts who are focused on CTE are expanding their knowledge and ensuring that their CTE programs and specifically their graduates are jumping out of a k-12 system and go and having the ability with a certain skill set to go be employable tomorrow
0: yeah i think that's great because it, it if we can do that we we change we change the the industry and and, and the in the folks coming into the industry, right? I mean, that's a major shift in the way we think about it today.
1: And, and, and you know, one more comment on that is that, you know, we've got such a huge demand. And, and I, you know, to put it plainly, this is a this is a huge crisis that we're facing in our country with this workforce gap that exists as 500,000, 1.8 million in a, in a year and a half. You know, where do we begin to to, to to plug all of our fingers in the different holes in this dam and and what we have to do is we have to focus on all aspects of it current workforce future workforce and 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 how do we approach it from the cte programs from the two-year programs from the four-year programs we have to have a holistic approach to it and and we have to change the stigma that the CTE programs are, are for a specific type of student for a specific type uh, of trade. Yeah. All right, Jeff, I'm, I'm good with this topic.
0: This, this, I rounded it out, so I'll I'll let you go. Okay.
4: Sure. Thanks, Kevin. A couple questions for you. Uh, The first one is, is not the intent of our discussion, but I'm just curious, you know, you, you, you began your uh, your talk uh, talking about the the vast labor shortage in cybersecurity. I'm curious. Well, I don't believe the numbers, but I don't want to get into that as a discussion. I'm just curious. What is the source uh, uh, for those numbers?
1: So the, the source from those numbers are a uh, couple of full, couple fold. So, uh, there's a report out of the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education, NICE. Uh, they have partnered with Cyberseek to, uh, put out, uh, an interactive website. So you actually can go select which state, uh, and, and those, uh, statistics are all, uh, pooled together there. And then, uh, CSIS, uh, was another, uh, uh, source that put out a report about the projections of our cybersecurity workforce.
4: Okay, uh, a follow up to that: uh, when when they say it's a a, a cybersecurity position a cybersecurity job, uh, very very briefly, what are they talking? You know, what types of jobs are they talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's all ranges of jobs when it comes to uh, the cybersecurity. Positions and 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 it runs the runs the gamut and and what I would refer everyone to and talking about these is that nice workforce framework and the different work roles that are established in that framework. So everything from you know vulnerability assessment to pen tester to programmer, uh, all of these types of jobs are 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 baked into there. But I, I want to add a layer to that. So you know mm-hmm. you've got these different work roles that nice list out but you also have different levels in which those uh work roles exist so you have entry level mid-level senior uh so there's a, an incredible matrix that we put together on cyber.org's website go to cyber.org click career exploration and you'll be able to see the different types of jobs we actually have some really cool trading cards uh that we give students uh all over the country uh to introduce them to the type of job the average salary of that job, the type of degree and or certification if a degree is not required, the skill sets that you need to to perform that job. And and so these are the types of things that we want to introduce students because cybersecurity jobs, they're always changing. They're all, you know, how do I prepare my students for jobs that, you know, may not even exist tomorrow? So Mm -hmm. we have to keep our students Focused on the skill sets, so that they can then go into and explore the different jobs that are available uh, from the number of different industries.
4: Okay, um, I'm gonna lump sort of a, a couple questions together, uh, somewhat related. Uh, you know the, you know COVID nineteen, the the pandemic, the lockdown over the last fifteen or so months, uh, exposed very quickly in our education system. Uh, huge technology gaps in terms of you know trying to set up virtual learning, not everybody had internet access, not everybody had a computer or a laptop or you know a tablet or something to do it um tied into that you know that, that sort of roughly ties into uh, you know the 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 lack of availability of technology in our education system uh is 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 if not largely uh Reflective of differences in demographics, uh, socioeconomic areas, things like that, which ties into issues of diversity. So throw that all together. Uh, what are you guys doing to kind of uh, address or tackle you know diversity and and the technology cha- challenges in terms of availability in the in our education system, largely due to issues of diversity or lack thereof.
1: That's a fun. Cram packed question, I love it. So, um, <laughs> kind of touching on the the first part of this, one of the things that um, we saw as a golden opportunity during COVID nineteen, yes, there was huge technology grant uh, gaps. Uh, there were huge uh, you know internet bandwidth it- issues with our rural communities, and and I firmly believe that we need to really address those issues moving forward. However, we have content both on the plugged and unplug side. So we're teaching encryption and decryption with a piece of paper and a Pringles can. We're teaching uh, cybersecurity ethics with a bunch of scenarios that just require paper. We're working with school systems to put together little kits so that a school, a student, all they have to do is swing by uh, the school at some point and pick up their pack uh, for the uh, for their lesson for the week, so we're able to adapt our lessons and our cybersecurity lessons specifically to an unplugged environment, and and this success uh, really allowed us to seamlessly transition into uh, an at home or an at learning um, you know uh, environment. You know, this technology gap is is something that we have to solve as well. And and I think that one of the things that we're laser focused on is in providing and connecting school districts, teachers to opportunities for both federal and state level grants, um, you know, these relief packages and ensuring that teachers are aware that they can uh, jump on boards with some of these stimulus packages and benefit uh, as a school uh, with this technology. Now, We're we're coming on the back end of this um, pandemic, fingers crossed, um, and and we're starting to see school districts come back online uh, with regards to in-person, face-to-face learning. One of the things that we're starting to see is a teacher's confidence in teaching via a technology platform. I remember when we, pre-pandemic, when we would go out to school systems and we would interact with teachers, These teachers would be set in their ways these teachers would have said yep i wrote my lesson plan 20 years ago and i'm sticking to them well what the pandemic has has forced educators to do is to kind of open their minds to a whole new world and a whole new uh uh treasure chest or a whole new toolbox of of tools that they can utilize by with educating their students and so school districts as they come back online are very very hungry for these kinds of resources that their teachers are now able to 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 integrate into their classroom that these teachers are now confident and comfortable integrating into the classrooms not to mention this opportunity has really opened the school district's eyes to the need to secure their devices the need to ensure that I can't just have 20 laptops floating around on, you know, the Internet uh, because my students really may or may not you know, know what the, the, the parameters are. And, and I use this example all the time of, you know, as a parent, would I encourage my student to go down a dark alley in the middle of a downtown at midnight? Absolutely not. I would tell my kids, you know, hey, it's not really a good idea to do that. You probably should be home, you know, by 10 or 11, you know, and and don't go the, down the dark alley. So how are we teaching our students not to go down the dark alleys of the internet and how to not to disclose personal identifiable information or share your passwords or your locations, etc. So we've had a lot of eye openings during the pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic has been Bad on all on a lot of fronts, but the good side of this is that we have now have an education system that is operating and functioning in in 2021, whereas before I would challenge it to say that it was operating back in the 80s and not early 90s. So this is really a, a, a an incredible moment for school districts because we now see that they're thinking about things that they need to be thinking about from A, a cybersecurity perspective, an infrastructure perspective, tools and resources perspective, and a curriculum perspective. So that really has has teed that up. So pause, pause, the diversity thing. This is something that I am very, very passionate about. When we look at the cybersecurity workforce today, it is filled with a bunch of white males. Plain and simple, and and I think that you know this this lack of diversity has been an eye opener to you know our task for ensuring that we are going to the communities that are um, that are are high in minorities, high in you know high diversity numbers. We need to ensure that we are not only diversifying our workforce from a racial standpoint, but from a gender standpoint. Uh, So I'm gonna name a couple of examples of how cyber.org has really taken the charge and working to diversify the cybersecurity workforce. The Girl Scouts of America, Girl Scouts of United States reached out to us to actually develop their first uh, 18 cybersecurity badges. Uh, Over 200,000 cybersecurity badges have been earned by Girl Scouts across the country uh, in the first year. This is an astonishing number in that we have young ladies who are interested, excited, and passionate passionate about cybersecurity, about the concepts and the skills, and who are very interested in pursuing a, a workforce. The second thing that we're doing is we're launching HBCU feeder programs. Historically, Black colleges and universities have incredible cybersecurity and technology programs. However, there are no feeder programs that uh, most of them are using to introduce students at an earlier age within their school system to invest in those middle school and high schools, introduce those students to cybersecurity concepts, just as cyber.org does, and connect them to not only the degrees, but also the careers uh, that that we are uh, looking to fill uh, over the next few years. So from a minority, from a racial standpoint, from a gender standpoint, it's, it's our top priority to ensure that we have a diverse cyber literate workforce moving into the future, going into these underserved communities, going into these rural communities, going into these inner city communities. These are all important and these are all necessary to ensure that we can take that workforce gap and start to close it as opposed to seeing it continue to expand.
4: Great. Uh, uh, one last question and then I will yield the floor. Um near and dear to my heart, uh when my wife and I were raising our children, we got were pretty fed up with the public education system. So we ended up homeschooling. Uh and ironically, uh my youngest two children are now uh both educators in is it called Title Nine? You know, low income schools. Title uh, one. Title one Title I. Thank you. Thank you. I knew you'd know know it. Um and, uh, one is in, uh, inner city, Philadelphia, one's in, uh, Richmond. Um, but, you know, we, we produced educators and we put them back into the system to try to help fix things by, by, you know, leading the change. But, uh, do you guys have programs? Do you have a, a, a way to reach out to, to homeschool educators?
1: Absolutely. Cyber.org's priority is every educator, every K-12 educator. And everything we do is available to them at no cost. So you can't tell me that finances are an issue. You can't tell me that uh, you don't have the the dollars to invest in the curriculum. We all offer it at, at no cost. We offer the professional development at no cost. And, and our task is to provide these resources to every K-12 educator in the country, whether you're a homeschool educator, whether you're a community leader educator in the community centers, whether you're a troop leader from a Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts standpoint, uh, whether you're from a charter school, public school, private school, if you are an educator, if you educate students, if you educate the youth, if you educate our future then you are eligible for these resources. You're eligible to participate in our professional development. You're eligible for the content and the curriculum. What we wanna do is educate the next generation cyber literate workforce. And it's not just the high-end schools. It's not just the private schools responsibilities. It's not just the two-year, four-year institutions. It's every educator's responsibility, and we have to ensure that we are providing these teachers with everything that they need to educate our future, everything that they need to educate our future.
0: That's great, Kevin.
1: Uh, Anyone else? I have one
0: last question for Kevin, but I want to give the rest of the hosts an opportunity to ask Kevin a question.
2: So I, I, I I've been thinking about one of the things we we ran into here in Idaho through the through the pandemic was not just that uh, you know we had kids staying at home we had kids staying at home in areas where there there was no internet option um, we're to, we're back in the modem days there wasn't high speed internet out there I'm, I'm loving the fact that you have you know the offline options but I'm thinking. How, how have we got areas where there really cyber isn't even an option in schools that we could talk to not, not just cyber but computing i mean you know you need a certain amount of infrastructure uh, just a completely different slant on your diversity uh have you run into that
1: uh, we definitely have and and we've walked into school systems where there is not a single computer. We've run into um, you know organizations who uh, are d- handling and educating challenged teams who they're not allowed to touch a computer because of, of the, the, the troubles that they could get into. So we've run the gamut of having going into schools that have all the technology, all the bells and whistles and, and then we go into school that have absolutely nothing nor do they have the bandwidth. And, you know, when I talk about, you know, that lesson with sound waves and frequencies, where we have students building a, a harp uh, out of a Frisbee and fishing line, or we have students building a flashlight using a bunch of Dollar Tree items and a bag of wires, uh, where we're teaching them to, to, uh, to build a flashlight because there's been a cyber attack on the nation's power grid. And we talk about different cyber attacks. We build catapults who are to, to demonstrate firewalls how do we get around a firewall and we talk about the different conceptual things that are you know the importance of a firewall so if, if you have a dollar store if you have you know access to toilet paper rolls cotton balls straws then you can teach cybersecurity and that's where we encourage school districts wherever you are you can teach cybersecurity it's as simple as changing apples to gigabytes it's as simple as you know getting a pringles can and a piece of paper it's not intimidating I and mean, that's the that's the the scary part of it or not scary part but this i will mention that to educators the scary part is the word cybersecurity they're like uh i'm going to put that over there because they're going to be hacking all my things right but it's not about that it's about building the foundation it's about building the awareness it's about building the the the, the ethical uh components of of cyber security so if you are a school that has nothing give me a call if you're a school that has everything give me a call we have resources that can be tailored to every school and and you know town x high school and town x middle School they may be right next door to each other but they have two separate different visions they may have two separate different offerings they may have two separate different educators um we we're able to tailor the education programs to that school and we we're able to go to that school where they're at doesn't we're not saying oh you have to come to us and you have to have all these this equipment it doesn't work that way because i remember as an educator the challenges that i had with no budget no money no parent support, no PTO. And so everything I had to do was I had to rub two nickels together and then go uh, you know, go to the dollar store. That's what I had to do as an educator. and going out and buying twenty laptops for my for my classroom was totally out of the question. So we go to you. we go to the educators, and that's how we begin making that difference.
2: So are you sending me a, a, a box full of stuff that says instead of ACME, it says cyber.org on the side? Are you sending me a body or is it a what what
1: what what happens when we reach out to you? So we're giving you access to the curriculum and we can get that to you via the internet or we could right. you know, get that get that to you um, you know, with paper. Uh, we're giving you professional development. And that professional development is done face-to-face. Obviously, COVID kind of got us a little wonky a little bit, so we do virtual things. But we work with school districts to do face-to-face PD. Um, I've got a, a team of educators who love getting on airplanes and love traveling, uh, and especially to Idaho. I hear they have some good skiing in the uh, uh, in the wintertime. So the um, the very fact that we can travel, we can go, we come to the educators, we meet them where they are you know, figuratively and literally, um, and we provide them with a network of educators that are who are like them, who are struggling in the same way, who need help in the same way, who can share ideas and best practices, and that can then motivate them to, to actually uh, changing the way in which they integrate content and curriculum into the classroom.
3: How can... Uh... How can security professionals or people inside the community get involved or support or help your guys' cause? What are the, the mechanisms that you guys have set out for that?
1: I was hoping somebody was going to ask that question. I, I, that is, you know, To the security professionals that are, that are out there, my encouragement to you is uh, one of three things. Invest in an organization that is boots on the ground and content curriculum. If, if you want to sponsor cyber.org, we would love, love, love to work with you in that. The second thing is get in the classrooms. Show edge. So show, show these students what this workforce looks like, uh, especially if you are uh, you know a, a a person who is uh, not a white male. If you're a female if you're uh you know a a, an individual of color if you're an individual from a hispanic or an asian culture get in the classroom show these students that this workforce could be anybody um the very fact that you know students research has shown students who who see someone that looks like them they're more than more likely to follow them and so we want to ensure that our professionals are getting out into the community. So cybersecurity professionals who are listening here, find a school, adopt a school, uh, go in and make friends. And let me tell you, as an educator, if I had somebody from the cybersecurity world come into my classroom and say, "Hey, I want to just you know share with your students um, about the you know about the concept," um, I would welcome them in as much as they want. Now, a cybersecurity professional, you may be going that scares the living daylights out of me. What do I do when I get there? Right. I don't mind calling them up. I don't mind going into the classroom. I don't mind, um, you know, showing myself, but what do I do when you get there? Call me. I'll give you resources. I'll give you, I'll send you a Pringles can and a piece of paper and you could do Enigma uh, in 20 minutes with the students. And and then you're seen as a hero because you just brought the students a, uh, a snack of Pringles uh, that they can eat on. So, reach out to us. We are happy to be conduits and facilitators to ensuring that you uh, are, are being seen by students. You are motivating students. and You are inspiring students to pursue a cybersecurity uh, career.
0: So Tyler took my last question, which was perfect because I wanted to know how we could help. And trust me, nobody will look like me in the classroom, so they're not going to follow me. Uh, there are so many jokes there. <laughs> uh gentlemen any any other questions before we let kevin go
4: uh just a note. final oh. final comment and i and i'm hold on let me get the blind so you can see me
0: <laughs> i was gonna say that was awesome jeff like i was I gonna to say something really awesome. profound
4: <laughs> now where'd i go yeah it's still kind of there all right i'm gonna yeah. speak ethereally um Just uh, full disclosure, I'm uh, on the board for an organization called Hack for Kids that tries to provide... uh, experiences to young people sort of along the lines of hacker conferences that we ver- we ver- we refer to it as stem so stem with the h for hacking also I'm uh, on the uh, grant advisory board for the Gula Tech foundation uh which is committed to trying to uh bring cyber education into uh K through 12 although we don't call it cyber uh we call it something else but that's a teaser for later
0: Thank you, Jeff. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on Paul's Security Weekly.
1: Absolutely, gentlemen. It's a pleasure, and uh, look forward to uh, to many more fun conversations uh, in the future if the opportunity arises.
0: Yes, thank you. We're
1: going to take a quick break, and then
0: welcome Joel Wallenstrom from Wicker to discuss encrypted collaboration and communication.